Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. What is this, amateur hour? Yeah, I ain't no Superman businessman like you. You know, I'm just a... Amateur. I suppose. Amateur hour. Is what's happening. <laughs> amateur hour. Is what's happening. Amateur hour is the best podcast in the world. Yeah. Amateur hour is the best podcast in the world. Come on. Uh-huh. This is a show about the Chiefs, the football team that plays in Kansas City. Friendship and fun and stats that you won't believe. AHPKC will begin shortly. Hey, hey. Hey, Dirk. Are you ready? Let's do this thing. Come on, let's go. Let's go. It's football time. That's right, folks. That's what time it is. It's time for Amateur Hour. I am Ryan Scott Hall, and the man who is always a pro bowler in our hearts and minds is Darkness. What's up? What's up? What's up? What are you doing there? You got your, you're getting your mic all set up there, Dirky? Ready to go? Just strapping, make it strapping up my chin strap. Yeah, it looks like uh, it looks like your face mask a little bit. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> okay. So speaking of the Pro Bowl, I got some takes. Are you ready to have a little Pro Bowl takeoff? No. Yeah. Yeah. You are. All right. We're gonna we're gonna talk about the Pro Bowl, and I want to get just a few thoughts from you, and I need you to like boil down what you think into a single sentence. We're going to have a little back and forth. Are you ready? Sure. All right. So I mean, no. let, let's start with this. The Pro Bowl is being held at Camping World Stadium in Orlando, former home of the Florida Tuskers and the Orlando Sun Dogs. And... Uh, the Orlando Rage and the Florida Blazers. Um, they they on Wikipedia list Camping World Stadium as the regular host of college football classics between Florida A and M and Bethune Cookman, the Miac Swack Challenge, and the Miak Camping Swack. World Kickoff. Um, what? Okay, this is the best place that they could find to hold hold and host the Pro Bowl. Orlando, Florida in January. I think uh I think the players are probably pretty upset they're not going to be in Honolulu. Yeah, they moved it from Hawaii at some point. I don't remember when. I don't I don't know anything about the Pro Bowl. I, it's it's become such a laughing stock. I don't know why it exists. Don't they draft? Don't the guys like get drafted onto teams or something? Didn't they have like a fantasy draft last year? Uh, I think that's NBA that's been doing that, but I don't, I don't, I have no idea. I don't. Mm. So, so many people decline the invitations that that all these <laughs> very mediocre players end up going 
the the stat of Pro Bowl berths now means nothing. Like, mm. like it shouldn't be it shouldn't be listed as an accomplishment to go to the Pro Bowl anymore, just because uh, so many people decline it and then they they end up getting it. Well, that kind of ruins some of the things I wanted to say. So you're going to have to pretend like the Pro Bowl is a huge, important deal. On Twitter, um, it's a huge deal. People were mad. People were right. mad. People love to talk about how not mad they are while getting mad about it. Well, I wanted I wanted to go through this list really quick with you to talk about the company that Tyree Kill is now a part of. Um, so Tyree Kill makes the Pro Bowl as a wide receiver. I loved that qualifier from for Brooke Pryor. If you guys haven't looked at the thread of Brooke Pryor announcing who the Chiefs Pro Bowlers were and then some of her reactions to it is really good. I enjoyed it. Um, <clears throat> the other wide receivers that made the Pro Bowl this year, DeAndre Hopkins, Antonio Brown, Keenan Allen in the AFC, and then in the NFC, it's Julio, Michael Thomas, Thielen, and Devontae Adams. So those are the eight quote unquote best wide receivers in the NFL this year. Um, I mean, the only guy that seems like the obvious one missing from the list in terms of like these are the great receivers in the league is Odell Beckham. I'm assuming that the reason that he's not on the list is because he's been injured and his quarterback is Eli Manning, so he's probably had a rough year. But that's kind of like the group of guys that you and I were talking about in terms of players that are right there with Tyreek. Um, and so I thought that was good. I thought that looked good for Tyreek to be uh, in in the Pro Bowl with those other seven players. Uh, it, it definitely is. Uh, I, I think I need to apologize to Tyreek Hill because uh, about three weeks ago I was touting him as having the best hands in the NFL because I couldn't think of a single drop he had all season. Mm. And now he has about five or six in the last three weeks, including – uh, this week's, which I actually forgot about until I, until the rewatch uh, on a face. free play, where yeah, he's he's running all by himself. Uh, Demarcus Robinson right next to him, already celebrating the touchdown, and he lets it hit him right in the face. Uh, yeah. So, uh, ever since I went on my Tyreek rant about him having better hands than Odell Beckham and having the best hands in the NFL, uh, he has um, fallen into a a slump of drops. So, uh, I I, I I remove those tweets. I'm, I'm going to switch those tweets and delete them and hopefully remove this curse because we need Tyreek Hill catching passes again. I mean, in fairness, the play would have been called back for a penalty anyways, and so maybe Tyreek just had a sixth sense and knew. You're no, it was, it, was off, it was offsides on the Chargers. It was a free play. It would have counted. Oh, um, I thought that one but, was, was like a legal formation, like he didn't reset or something. No, nope. It would have been a touchdown. They ended up scoring a touchdown, so not that big a deal. But uh, okay. still, one you'd, you'd like to see Tyreek Poland. Um. So the 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 big like snub for the Chiefs is Chris Jones. Um. And I mean, obviously, I think anybody can look at it and be like, this guy has fourteen sacks. Like there aren't three guys in the NFL that play defensive line that I think I'd rather have than Chris Jones in the Pro Bowl this year. Honestly, the biggest reason that I thought it was a snub is not like strictly because of his play, but Chris Jones is like the perfect Pro Bowl guy. He's the guy that's going to like have the right energy and he's super charismatic. Like put him in front of a microphone or a camera and everybody's going to be like, Chris Jones, he's this guy's the star of the Pro Bowl because he's so much fun. 
Um, so I feel like that's a big miss on the NFL. Once Chris Jones gets to be known nationally, I mean, just look at how he was on draft day, the kind of energy and excitement that that guy brings. Like he's perfect for the Pro Bowl. He's like the epitome of a Pro Bowl guy. Yeah, he might even take the Hummer out of the driveway and, and take that to Orlando. Zing. All right. Um, ooh, I don't know. I hope not. Florida's rough, man. <laughs> Be careful down there, Chris. Florida's um, rough. What does that mean? Like in terms of disease or what are we talking about? I mean, I hear that the air quality could be bad for the Hummer, you know? I mean, just gotta <laughs> just got to be careful. I think it's the Hummer that has the bad air quality. Yeah. Oh well, okay. So um I saw I saw that you sent a tweet about the Eric Fisher versus Mitch Schwartz. Um I don't I think versus might be a little unfair because it's not like these teammates have beef or anything um but i mean i sent out a tweet last night that just said that's pro bowl left tackle eric fisher to you haters because you know he's worked his whole career to get this this one really weird kind of random pro bowl but generally speaking like fisher versus schwartz who's had the better year i mean does anyone really know does anyone really know these are offensive linemen we don't know we don't know who's better uh, I know things. Fisher had a better game on 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 Thursday night. Maybe that was the uh, maybe that was the clincher. That block that he threw after the crazy Mahomes scramble, like he he blocked his own guy and then ran all the way to the other side of the field and like cleaned that dude up right as Mahomes was getting ready to throw the ball. That was beautiful. That was a heck of a play. Yeah, and Mitch Schwartz, Mitch Schwartz, and, and Andrew Wiley on that right side had a had particularly rough night. I feel like I've been seeing pressure coming from that side, and I don't know if it needs to be, you know, the onus put on the guard for not doing a great job. But, like, for all the stats that you end up seeing about offensive linemen, like Mitch Schwartz hasn't allowed a pressure in X number of games, I'm like, I feel like there's some technicalities here where where they're assigning it not to Mitch Schwartz when Mitch Schwartz could have blocked the guy, even if it wasn't his assignment or something. But I don't want to talk about the offensive line. I do, however, want to talk about the most important position in the NFL, and that's the fullback, where Anthony Sherman once again proves that he apparently is the best fullback in the NFL. But I just want to point out that I think Anthony Sherman's best contribution each year is his his outfit when he shows up to training camp instead of anything he actually does on the field. And maybe this year the tip-top contribution is that picture of Josh Briscoe taking a picture of Anthony Sherman's butt. Like, that's the that's peak Sherman performance so far this year. But he is a pro bowler. He's got pro bowl butt, apparently. Uh, the disappointing part is we won't have anything wrapped up by week 17, so we won't get to uh, handle the load in the backfield. That was a... Uh... Uh, great moment for him in week 17 last year, showing he could, uh, he could, he could tote the rock. <laughs> he was, uh, man, did not really look equipped for it, but Hey, at least he didn't fumble in a, you know, crucial part of the game. Unlike it's a shout out to our, Tyler Bray. <laughs> it's our shout out to our old days. Cause we turned Tony Richardson into like a featured back. We turned Kimball Anders into a featured back. It's like, uh, it's in, in chiefs history to turn fullbacks into running backs. We- Donnell Bennett. We're so good at running back that even fullbacks can thrive. All right. Well, those are my Pro Bowl takes. You got any more? You want to rock? You want to fire off there, Dirk? Well, and this has been Amateur Hour. All right. Well, 
So this is this is where I All really right. want to start today after after firing off some some Pro Bowl takes for you guys. Um, so obviously the Chiefs lost. It's been almost a week since we last talked. Um, I think it actually has been more than a week since we last talked talked on the Amateur Hour program. Um, but it was six days ago that the Chiefs lost um, after leading a game for fifty nine minutes and fifty six seconds. Um, the Chiefs have lost three games this year, all three coming to playoff teams. The combined record of the three Chiefs opponents that they've lost to is 31-11. and 11. The total margin that they have lost these three games by is one single touchdown, three losses by a combined seven points. And the opponent average score in these losses is 42. Um, I mean, what do you what do you make of that? Dirk, like, is this a good thing? Like, does this look good for the Chiefs, or does it look bad for the Chiefs that they've lost three close games? I mean, how do you how do you feel? Uh, I mean, the forty two isn't isn't a great look, but uh, right. they are they're the only NFL team to be in every single game this year. Um, so I think that's a uh, something to hang your hat on. Like, it's we've lost to some, some good teams and they've all been kind of toss up games. Like each, this is, this is the first game that really felt like a, like a true loss. Like I think each of the uh, other two losses, we kind of came away feeling encouraged. And this week uh, felt a little different just because of the way they lost. I guess it wasn't like a back and forth. They had it last. It was kind of like, we felt like we blew it. Even though if you kind of boil it down, it was kind of just, they had it last and, you know, them going for a two-point conversion on the last play, I mean, that's as, as toss-up as it gets. That's as, as 50-50 as a game can possibly get. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm, there's nothing really to hang your hat on. I mean, you're going to lose some games. Um, and, and while this loss wasn't as encouraging as the others, it's still nothing to be ashamed about, even though I, I, I think the worst part would be that the Chargers weren't at full strength. They didn't have Melvin Gordon, and they didn't have Keenan Allen. So I think that's the uh, uh, the biggest thing to hang your hat on, is that uh, you let the Chargers do that much work on offense without their two best players, two best skill position players, I guess. Um, well, but and- but you know, not, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm not freaking out. I'm not freaking out. I think a lot of people were really upset and I don't, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping that everyone's kind of come back down to, to earth now because it's been long enough, but I mean, look, this is a nine game winning streak over a divisional opponent that like, isn't bad, right? Like the chargers are the best team that aren't the chiefs in the AFC West, probably, you know, over the past five years, I'd say they're the second best team. So, I mean, to have won nine straight was amazing. Like this was bound to happen eventually that the streak was going to end. Now it sucks that it ended the way that it did, but like it's weird. I kind of stepped away from that game. And I think that like I think I still stand by my take of not really being afraid of the Chargers because honestly, I'm not even sure how we actually lost that game. Like, I don't know what happened. I mean, I do, I was there, but like it's weird. You know, we talked to you, you mentioned like that this one is the first one that actually felt like a loss. And I just, I think I take a little umbrage with that because to me, it was just like, it just felt really fluky to me that they ended up losing that game. And I was never worried. And I still just don't really feel all that threatened by the chargers. 
you know, you, you mentioned those injuries because like, I wonder, I wonder how chiefs fans were kind of going through it and trying to maybe feel better because there's been a lot of talk about, you know, Pat kind of having to do things on his own. Now, when you have Tyreek, not a hundred percent, you're playing this game on a short week and you only get 30 snaps from Eric Berry. You don't have Sammy Watkins, um, you know, like, and, and obviously you're, you know, working on trying to integrate Damian Williams. You don't even have Spencer Ware, who was technically your second running back. And the only thing that I can say to that is that if you look at the chargers, like you mentioned them not having Melvin Gordon and Keenan Allen, Keenan Allen played most of the first half, but didn't register a stat. Um, but you got to keep in mind, they also didn't have Austin Eckler, who's technically their second running back, and and really ran circles around the Chiefs when we played them earlier this season. Um, so they're down to their third string running back. They don't have Hunter Henry, no matter what Stephen A. Smith tried to tell you on first take before that game. But then you look at their defense, too, and they're missing basically four starters. Now, I know that Jason Verrett seems to get hurt every year, but they were also missing Kaiser White who has been the guy that basically shut down Travis Kelsey in the first game that we played this year. They don't have Denzel Perryman, who's their best stand-up linebacker, and they don't have Corey Legit, who's their best defensive lineman. I mean, San Diego, nowhere near full strength and was able to hang with the Chiefs, who also weren't really near full strength. The other thing I think that people talked about were the penalties, and you went through and rewatched, so maybe you have a little bit more, um, like, like uh, educated perspective, um, I guess I just I felt like the penalties were pretty bad, but I also thought that they were very evenly bad because I remember some penalties being called on the Chargers that I felt like were total phantom calls, and I, but I was just like, who cares? I'll take it. Thanks for extending the drive. Um, it sucks that some of the penalties on the Chiefs come down at the end. The one on Kendall Fuller was bad. The one on Skandrick when, frankly, I thought Mike Williams pushed off on him was bad. Even get Sal mentioning on on Simmons and Cousin Sal's, you know, national, like probably the most listened to podcast in the world as far as football is concerned. You've got Sal saying, oh, he might have pushed off on that last touchdown there. I mean, like it, it wasn't a good look for the refs, but I don't think that either team like benefited more than the other. I thought it was pretty even penalty wise. Um, no, I wouldn't, eh, maybe even, so I didn't, I didn't, I, and during the game, I don't think they show the replays of like chargers penalties really. So you don't really get an idea of how bad those calls are. Like they're, they're re-showing the ones against the chiefs. I don't to fire up the crowd, I guess. Uh, but okay. The, the call against Sorensen and the call against Fuller are, are two of the worst call, calls you'll ever see. There's just absolutely nothing there. Um, it was a horrible recipe at the end for there to be that pass interference call and then the push off on Mike Williams. And then he kind of bobbled it. It was just everything kind of boiled up at the end for a really uh, ugly finish. Like leaving the game, I felt pretty cheated. Um, but then, you, you know, you kind of read some stuff and you see his call, bad calls on both sides. Okay, so I'm rewatching the game, ready for it. And it was basically like the Chiefs' uh, final touchdown drive they just made it was it was maybe the flaggiest NFL drive I've ever seen. There was probably like ten flags thrown on that drive alone against against both teams, and the and the really bad one was the face mask uh, that they called on Bosa. It was actually somebody else, but he really it was just like a the slightest graze uh, 
Uh, and that would have been like a third and 22. It was a second and 15 and they got sacked. Um, so that led to a touchdown. So that kind of, um, you know, cancels out one of the other calls, I guess. Uh, and there's a few other defensive holdings in there that were, that were kind of questionable. So, uh, after the rewatch, yeah, I definitely settled down about the refs. Uh, but, but yeah, those, the, the, the two calls were just, it, it was, they were so, so bad, so bad. And, and that's all I asked for too is equality. Cause there's going to be bad calls. Like I don't, I don't expect perfection by any means. Uh, and I'm actually a fan of makeup calls. Like I, I think makeup calls are good. Uh, I think the, the goal of the refs should be to make the game even. They should be as le- as less of a factor as possible. Um, a lot of people said the pass interference was a makeup call for the Rivers hit. I didn't think the Rivers hit was bad. Uh, he was he was going down and, and Dorian's going at the same time. Uh, but I do think Rivers making such a big deal about that did lead uh, to that pass interference being called. Like I thought that was a direct uh, consequence. Uh, and I don't think it was an accident. I think Rivers knows what he's doing. I mean, the call hasn't been made. He's he's making a big deal about it, and he knows uh, that that's that might lead to something. I mean, makeup calls are a thing. Refs are human. I've refed a lot of games. If you feel like you fucked up on one side, the next close call you're going to give to the other team. At least that's how I do it. Uh, and I believe that's that's the way to do it. Um, I I so. In conclusion, I came away blaming the refs after the game, but I mean, I was also liquored up and, and leaving Arrowhead Stadium after a heartbreaking loss. That's no, uh, that's nothing new, really. And I'm not, I'm not above blaming the refs. Like I, I think refs will fuck a team. Like I think we got fucked over pretty hard in that Rams game, uh, much more than this game. I thought that was what much more one sided. Uh, but after watching things, I settled down on that a bit, and it was it was mostly just an ugly ending for the refs. Okay. So with that being said, you know, we feel like the refs was fairly even, you know, you look at the injuries, you got injuries on both sides. Both teams are kind of hobbled. Um, I say, I don't really even know how the chiefs ended up losing this game. You say it's the first one that it felt like the chiefs lost this season. So all that being said, Dirk, it's time for who you mad at. The Chiefs lost. They're coming up on one of the most, I would say arguably, the most important game of the season on Sunday night against the Seattle Seabags up in the second loudest stadium in the NFL, as you pointed out last week. I say bear in mind the Chiefs are averaging 42 points per game to their opponent in these three losses this year. Who are you mad at? I, I I don't know. I'm not, I'm not really mad at it. I'll tell you who I'm mad at. I'll tell you who I'm mad at. I'm mad at Chiefs fans. We do this. We, Chiefs fans carry so much weight with them. They carry so much grief. And I get it. I, I know why. Trust me. I've, I've been at Arrowhead for some of the more painful moments of my life, let alone as a sports fan. Like, I've, I've, I've been through this. I'm, I'm carrying it with you. But we need to have some chill. Like this, this is a really good football team. We're still the first seed in the AFC. Uh, three losses by seven points to three really good teams. And you know what? Winning is going to come because we have the best player in the NFL and he's 23 years old. All right. So winning is going to come. We can't, we can't, 
lose our minds this bad uh, every time the Chiefs lost. And I and I get we carry a lot of weight with us, and I I know that it sucks at the time, but and, it, and it's not even just Twitter. I mean, it's it's leaving Arrowhead Stadium and people just losing their their fucking minds, and it's and it's oh that's the play calling, and oh we gotta we gotta fire Bob Sutton right now. And we got this motherfucker over at Arrowhead Attic saying Andy needs to give up play calling to Eric Bieniemy, uh, and it's just we we just need to relax, okay? I mean, it's a competition, and winning we're not entitled to winning. Uh, we should know that. And 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 I feel like Chiefs fans, I get it. Again, I get it, but they just carry they carry twenty years of frustration with them for every single loss. And they, it just like boils over every single time that they lost. And it's just like, we need to have some perspective here. Okay. We've been a very good football team for five, six years now, however long Andy's been here. Uh, we're going to continue being a very good football team. Winning is coming. Championships are coming. We just need to relax. We're going to be fine. And it's, and it's, and it sucks because I end up. Like when I'm analyzing this, like I I have a whole train of thoughts after the game, and it's and it's about the team, it's about the game, and and then I kind of see the reaction, I hear the reaction to the game, and I end up reacting more to the reaction every time because because Chiefs fans are just they just kind of lose it, and I don't I I don't know if most fan bases are like this. I don't know if this is just a Chiefs specific thing or if this is just how fans are these days and everything is just like the the sky is falling after every single loss and that's that is kind of the nfl just because it's so much goes into one game and then you're waiting a whole other week for another game and so it's just like it's a lot to digest uh and it's emotional and chiefs fans are carrying their 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 weight of grief uh but i just ask for chiefs fans to have some chill things are going to be okay because we got andy we got pat things are good that's who I'm right. <clears throat> Well, I know that a lot of times when you you mentioned like that your reaction ends up being more about like reacting to other people's reaction than ultimately which, like your own takes, and that sucks, man. Like I know that's which not I don't like. I want. don't like. I don't like it. And I know that like I mean I saw you saying like we've got a good old fashioned offense versus defense conversation happening, and that seems to transpire after some of these pivotal losses. Is it more about? the Chiefs offense or the Chiefs defense. I mean, you go back and look at like that Colts playoff game. You look at the Steelers playoff game. You look at the Titans playoff game. You know, you look at this game and it's just like, that's that's the kind of conversation that happens. That happened after the Rams game. It happened after the Patriots game, you know? And and so I I, I definitely understand the frustration because in gen- like generally speaking, it's it's about picking sides is what that turns into. And I feel like, that's like what we're being asked to do all the time. You got to pick a side. You got to have a take. And to me, I guess, so I, I want to ask you this question. This doesn't necessarily, I, it's going to seem like I'm telling you who I'm mad at. Um, as as Dirk mentioned that he is mad at Chiefs fans after this loss. But I, I just want to ask, like, do you feel like there's been this much in-season like scrutiny or negativity about Bob Sutton before, because right now it feels pretty universally accepted, at least in the bubble that I read and I see online that Bob Sutton should be gone after this season. I mean, 
I said I wanted him fired after the 2013 playoff game. So, I mean, my decision was made then. Uh, I, I've, I've said multiple times that I'm not a fan of Bob Sutton. Um, as far as firing him goes, I mean, that's more, more of an off-season Dirk discussion. Um, I mean, firing him right now, I don't think it's going to solve anything. But uh, so, you know, I, I would kind of look at that after the season. But no, I've, I've never really been a Bob Sutton fan. So, and, and, and the reaction to him, no, I think it is getting worse and worse because, I mean, we had a good defense for, you know, the first four years of his, of his tenure. Uh, and, and we had all that talent, obviously. So now the talent has really fallen off and the defense has fallen off. So there wasn't, there wasn't nearly as much reason to get mad at him for his first four years. There was kind of like little things to, uh, to nitpick, like specific games, uh, and his inability to adjust and that kind of thing. But now that the, the defense has kind of been a train wreck, I guess I would say pretty, pretty bad. Maybe not a train wreck. Pretty, pretty bad, I guess. Um, I, I think, yes. I mean, his approval rating would be at its all time low right now, probably. Yes. And it's, I think the, like the reason I asked that is just because I, I know that people have gotten to this place, like at the end of the year and maybe this is the low point in the season, despite giving up 54 points to the Rams a few weeks ago, people were just really frustrated about how that, the way that that game ended. And so when I say it feels pretty universally accepted that he should be gone, I mean, ex- except maybe Pacho. I, I guess he still likes Bob Sutton for some reason. I don't know if he's just clowning us or what. But, you know, shout out to the honorable ambassador, Francisco Santos. Um, but, I mean, even even a guy like Craig Stout, our buddy over at Arrowhead Pride, he's, like, abandoned his trademarked bob sativity. You know, the one guy that was kind of trying to preach to people early in the year, you know, having a little positivity surrounding Bob Sutton, like that's out the window. Um, I feel like one of the conversations that I heard a lot of people having, not just like Chiefs fans or people that try to cover the Chiefs, but also seeing like some national guys having conversations about it, um, is is the Eric Berry being on the field in the first half and being so frustrated that he's realigning guys on the field and screaming at, you know, former first round pick, 10 or 11 year NFL veteran Orlando Scandrick. And they're saying it's week 15. Like Eric Berry steps on the field and is immediately identifying things and trying to get guys lined up in order to be in the right position to make plays. And if he's not on the field, is anyone else doing that? And, and so I bring that up, and I, I'm going to transition. We're still going to talk about Eric Berry. We're still going to talk about Bob Sutton a little bit. But I want to mention that um, here's one of, of the two things that I wanted to bring to Amateur Hour this week that you quite literally can't hear anywhere else. So on Friday after the game, um, I work at a restaurant in the Crossroads that has become very popular in Kansas City, and on Friday night – we hosted Tony Gonzalez's like retirement party. Um, he already has retired, but he gets inducted into the Chiefs Hall of Fame. And so I am the server for Tony Gonzalez's party, like with his friends. Um, like his kids weren't there, his parents weren't there. It was literally Tony Gonzalez and a bunch of other former football players and their wives. And the one guy that I ended up having a like fairly significant conversation with 
was Jason Dunn. Yeah, oh. Jason Dunn. Um, uh, so, uh, uh, all right. Uh, so here's the deal. Uh, um, I have to say, I didn't, I didn't recognize a bunch of guys in the room. Um, recognized that they looked like they were built like world class athletes. Wasn't sure if these were guys that Tony played with, like in college, or maybe here, or in Atlanta, or maybe just guys that he's met like through CBS or through Fox, because it seemed like they were talking a lot about like their preparation for having to be on TV and what you know what sort of takes they were going to have you know during their pregame shows or whatever. But Jason Dunn walks in and like I recognize him instantly. Um, towards the end, <laughs> you mean the wall of a human being? You you recognized him? Does he still have the I dreads? Mean, yeah. Yeah, and like you could have fit me inside of his body very comfortably. Uh, Jason Dunn. <laughs> Jason Dunn is huge. Um, well, I would so, I would cut Demetrius Harris and play Jason Dunn over him today. I don't care what kind of shape he's in. I don't care. I don't. I don't need to know anything else. I would put Jason Dunn. I would cut Demetrius Harris and put Jason Dunn on the in the roster right now. Demetrius Harris has at least one penalty in every game and it always feels like it's the worst timing and like I just I hate him. I don't want to hate anybody player. but like just as a football player I'm just I'm so over him being on this team. Anyway, um if if you have any specific questions about Jason Dunn like what cologne was he wearing? How did he smell? You know whatever. Whatever it is, I'll I'll answer those questions but I do want to kind of give you this story a little bit. So Towards the end of their night, Jason Dunn came out of the room, and I don't know if he was just kind of stretching his legs because, like, there are these huge guys in this kind of small room. And he comes up to the bar and orders himself a drink. And what did he get? Just, uh, he got tequila on the rocks. A lot of tequila drinkers. Um, and I come up to him, and like, you have to, I, you know, as someone that works in the restaurant industry, and especially when you're like around guys like this, like, we, I'm expected to be very professional. And so I, I had been very professional the whole night. And it was just at this point where like everybody was kind of loose. And I came up to him and I was like, Jason, I just need you to know, like, in, in terms of, you know, Chiefs guys, like, you're, you're up there, man. Big fan of Jason Dunn, Kansas city chief. And he was like, man, that means a lot. Like, I don't hear that very much. And he gave me, uh, he gave me a hug and like uh, talked a little bit. And so I felt really fortunate that we had mentioned like, what is Jason Dunn doing? Because I had, we, we Googled maybe like six or eight weeks ago talking about him and found out that he was coaching in Kentucky. So I was able to be like, so, you know, you're, you're coaching in Kentucky right now. Right. Like as if I'm I'm really following Jason Dunn's post football career very closely, and he's like, yeah, you know, this is a pretty good season. We lost in the playoffs, so you know we didn't get to play as long as we wanted to. But he starts asking me because he was at the game on Thursday night too, and he starts asking me like, what do you think happened and what's going on with the Chiefs? I don't get to follow him that closely. Like usually try to get in town for one game a year, but like you know I'm coaching and I'm immersed in my own team, and so he and I start talking a little bit about the Bob Sutton, Eric Berry sort of, of thing, you know, that I think every, the conversations that everybody was having in Kansas city um, on Friday. And he points out to me that he's like, I think, I think the difficult thing for me, even as a former player is that I don't know if I should be more upset with Bob Sutton 
or if I should be more upset like with the players. And he brings up that play at the end of the game, the two-point conversion, and says, like, I know that they're in banjo, and banjo is apparently the coverage that you call when you're going to exchange receivers. So you you switch, basically. That's what a banjo coverage is. He's like, so I know, and he's like, you see before the play that Fuller and Skandrick are talking. Like, there's not like they're not communicating. He's like, and yet the ball is snapped, and Skandrick stays with his guy and tackles Kendall Fuller, and then Mike Williams is as open as you've ever seen anybody on a two-point conversion. He's like, I don't know if I'm supposed to be mad at the players, especially a guy like Skandrick that is a former first-round pick and has been in this league for a long time, or if I'm supposed to be mad at Bob Sutton because even if these guys are communicating, they're not getting it right. He's like, I feel like it is coaching and it is execution. Like, it, it is both. And people are trying to say, you know, is it personnel or is it coaching? And Jason Dunn tells me, like, both can be a problem, you know. And and it it was interesting that I've got this guy that's a former player for the team. And even if he's not following them that closely, he ultimately told me, I do think it's kind of a bad look that all season long, even with all the turnover that they've had on defense all season long, you don't see anybody doing the kind of stuff that Eric Berry does. And as soon as Berry steps on the field, he's putting guys in positions to succeed. But apparently Bob Sutton and all of the the coaches underneath him, even a Hall of Famer in Emmett Thomas and a former great player in Al Harris in the secondary, where that seems to be a lot of the the miscommunications, he's like, they're not they're not getting guys right. And so I I can't Jason Dunn did not say like Bob Sutton needs to go, but he seemed to indicate that he thinks that there is a coaching or accountability problem because you can't have someone that hasn't played in 29 games step on the field and have that much of an impact, not even with his play, but just with like identifying things. And it it just seems to me that like like let me ask you this. I know that I am like the last person on the planet that has been willing to be, um, you know, critical of Ron Parker, Captain Ron. Well, Ron Parker has played more snaps in the Bob Sutton defense since Bob Sutton became a defensive coordinator than anybody else, including Eric Berry. Like, why isn't Ron Parker looking at the offense as he like, did he just not have it? Does he and I'm not talking about physically, I'm talking about mentally at this point. Like, why is it that Eric Berry feels empowered enough and confident enough to be able to tell guys, this is where you need to be and this is what your job is? But if Eric Berry's not on the field, no one else is doing that. I don't even remember Derek Johnson doing that when he was here. And maybe he did a little bit inside of the front seven. I don't know. But, like, they're disorganized. And I think that it is a problem of miscommunication. But, like, I, that when, at what point does it fall at the coach's doorstep, too? Well, there's a lot there. I mean, I mean, not everybody's going to communicate in the same way. And this is kind of what happens when, when like a single play like that kind of goes viral and everybody sees it. And then everybody's drawing conclusions from that one play. Like, I don't, has there been a ton of plays this year where the chiefs have been, you know, out of position and, and misaligned? Like, I don't remember a ton. Um, so 
I, I don't know why Ron isn't doing it. Maybe he's just communicating in, a, in more subtle ways. I mean, Barry's fucking jumping and stomping his feet. I mean, he's obviously trying to make a point here. Um, so I'm not sure. Uh, that's interesting that he could tell what kind of coverage they're in. Um, so whether I, I, I almost feel like Skandrick was um, still you know, fixated on the play before still giving up that touchdown. And he, and he thought it was a push off and everything. Cause he was, he was pretty demonstrative. He was demonstrative about the pass interference call. I think he just kind of lost his head and you know, that's, that's not making an excuse. That's, that's pretty unacceptable. And Skandrick's had a pretty rough uh, back end of the season here. He's kind of the uh, become the weak point, at least along the, uh, as far as the corners are going. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know what the communication thing. I, I don't, I don't know what to make of it. Um, you know, Barry's obviously trying to establish himself as the leader, um, but I don't. As far as coaching, you know, if I, I get that you'd blame the coaching for a fuck up like that because you know it falls on your doorsteps, but you know you also kind of put your your feet in the coach's shoes, and if you tell a guy, hey, this is what you're doing five times over. You could tell him again and again and again and again, and he still might not do it. And so, is that your fault? I, I don't know. I don't know. Not really. It might just be a, a dumbass player, and it might just be Skandrick who was, you know, lost his head. He was. He let his emotions get the best of him, or he wasn't mentally ready for that play. Um, so, I don't know. It, it kind of falls on both. But it, it, I mean, I like I like Jason Dunn's take that you know it can be both the personnel and the coaches because it goes against what you're saying. Like we have to pick sides. We have to debate something here where it's just like, no, we can we can play the middle ground here and we can have a, a nuanced conversation. Um, but it, it does kind of just seem like the defense just needs to kind of reset. And and uh, that would probably lead to getting rid of Bob Sutton conversations or whatever. But, you know, we, we have them for right now, and I'm focused on this year for right now. So uh, we can have the whether Bob Sutton needs to go conversation after the season. Um, I'm sure I would agree that he does need to go. Um, but as far as now, uh, I, I do want to talk about Eric Berry. I thought, I thought he looked good, uh, in the first half. I thought he did some good things. Uh, he shut down a run really nice. Uh, he just kind of came up. He took on some blocks. I thought really well, I was, I was keeping uh, an eye on him most of the night. Um, and I, I liked that they had a set plan for him. I liked, uh, that they were going to play him in the first half and that's it. Cause, you know, I wanted a strategy. And if there's something the Chiefs have kind of struggled with in the Andy era, it's been how to handle injured players. And they've kind of seemingly fucked that up over and over. I mean, Justin Houston getting re-injured. Uh, Sammy Watkins playing in that Rams game for, for four snaps or whatever for no reason. Um, so I like that they actually had a plan with an injured player. Hey, this is what we're doing and we're sticking to it. And it seemed to work. He came out feeling good. And Eric Barry would probably play, he was playing every single snap for those first 30 snaps. I mean, he wasn't coming out. Uh, and then he kind of reached that limit and they pulled him. Uh, I would expect him to pretty much play the full game this Sunday is, is my expectation. Uh, so I like what they did with Eric Barry uh, in that game. So it's interesting. You know, you said you were watching him very closely. I think everybody was. Um, the other thing I wanted to try to bring to the table today, and I think people got at least a little dose of this on Twitter during the game um, <clears throat> let's start here. So the seats that I was in on Thursday night, look, I just, I, I, I have to take a quick moment and say thank you to Drew and John and Jeff Ryan, 
Um, Drew is a good friend of mine, and his dad and his uncle have these seats that are in rows seven and eight, and like I'm, and they're right on the aisle. It's like seats one and two in rows seven and eight behind the Chiefs bench. And I'm not kidding, right behind the Chiefs bench. I was sitting on the aisle in row seven, and my seat was like at the 44-yard line. And I saw some things on the sideline that I never would have imagined seeing in my life. You know, I tweeted out at one point that Eric Berry in the first half had all of the defensive backs kind of like on the bench, and he's like standing there coaching them and talking to them. And like, I could not take my eyes off of him. I could not, like I was having a hard time paying attention to the game because there's so much going on on the sideline and I was so close to it. And so there's a couple things that I noticed that I think are at least valuable for what we do. The first thing that I want to mention is with, and this is, this is off topic and then I'll come right back with Patrick Mahomes every single time that that some unit is coming off the field whether it's the field goal team or like the extra point team or the punt team or the kick team it does not matter if there's a unit that is coming off the field even the defense after getting a third down stop Patrick Mahomes comes off of the bench off of the sideline like five yards onto the field and is hyping up every single guy that's coming off the field giving a high five to every single one. Like Mahomes is the hype man for this team and it is infectious. Like me just watching him and how lit up and how plugged in he is to the game, even when he needs to be on the sideline, like this guy, he, he is, he is a catalyst for this team. And I don't know if Alex Smith was like that or not, but like Mahomes has an energy that I don't think any other player on this team has. And it was awesome to see. And that, I mean, that just, it just speaks of his leadership. And, and uh, it makes me think of him growing up around sports, being in, in clubhouses with his, uh, with his dad. Uh, and and I'm, I'm guessing his dad has just instilled that in him. Like, leadership is important, and this is what leadership looks like. And this is what you do as a leader. And, and he's, I mean, he passes every... Is can that, you hear that noise? Is, it's my is dog your dog chewing on a duck? It sounds yeah, no, like a, a squeak duck. It's an alligator, but yeah, same, same. Uh, <laughs> that's an alligator sound, actually. Oh, uh, right. he might be doing this for a while. He likes to, he likes to chew things. Um, I'll try and shut him up. Uh, but yeah, I think that just goes back to his dad growing up in baseball, and I, I, it's just he passes every single leadership test that you could possibly want, and it's just, mm-hmm. uh, just, just another, another fantastic sign for Patrick Mahomes. Let me tell you this: uh, don't sit that close to the field. Just don't. Like the seats were absolutely amazing, and I was so blessed, like so fortunate to be able to sit in them. It's so hard to pay attention to what's happening on the field because there's so much happening on the sidelines right in front of your face. Like I couldn't stop watching what was happening on the sidelines. What it ultimately revealed to me is that I think as fans, um, and and to use Josh Briscoe's word, as fanalists, um, dude – we try to simplify the game as much as we can. We try to, I think a lot of us, we give the NFL, we give some of these coaching staffs a hard time saying that they act like they're, you know, protecting things of national security and whatnot because they never want to give anything away. 
Um, and we have also harped on this team a lot, um, specifically the defensive side of the ball, about adjustments um, and maybe not making great adjustments at halftime or in-game. And I got to tell you, man, it is not for lack of trying. I'm watching the sideline, and and I'm basically like right in line with the big uh, unit that has all of those Microsoft tablets attached to it. And every single time that guys are coming off the field, it doesn't matter if it's the offense or the defense, they come over to the sidelines, and they are immediately looking at what just happened. They're trying to figure out, why did this work? Why didn't this work? What do we need to do differently this time? You know, this is what the offense looked like before they ran this play. And it's the the technology that they're using. The team has to be able to like take from the broadcast or their cameras or whatever. And it's just like some instantaneous upload because I mean, they're literally coming off the field and looking at the plays that, that were just run. And I'm talking, I'm seeing Andy Reid and Mike Kafka with it, talking to Mahomes and Chad Henney. I'm seeing Bob Sutton come over, and he's talking to Eric Berry. He's talking to Anthony Hitchens. And they're all just immediately looking at these tablets. The amount of coaching and communication and adjustments that are going on during the game, it's incredible. It's incredible. Like, we have no idea how fast this game moves and, and everything that goes into those guys being on the sideline and trying to be prepared for the next series. Like, we make it sound so easy, and we give these guys a really hard time. I was blown away, like absolutely blown away by what I was witnessing on the sideline. And, 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 and I just – it gave me a completely different perspective. Which is good. I mean, it's, there's, there's kind of different ways to look at, at football. I think coaches – you know, kind of realize the margin for error. There's going to be a winner and a loser kind of on every play and every game, that kind of thing. Whereas media try to draw conclusions from everything they're seeing and they're not, they're not around the day to day. I mean, it's, it's, uh, or at least they're not behind closed doors in the day to day and see how much goes into this and, and everything like that. But, uh, I, I do th- that's, I mean, that's cool. That's awesome. Um, I, I want to touch on Arrowhead as well. Um, from a, a more negative standpoint, um, so I thought, I thought they, they had a blown opportunity by not announcing the defense. Um, and that was even highlighted in rewatching the game and Aaron Andrews comes on and she's like, this, this stadium is ready to go nuts when Eric Berry gets announced here. And then they kind of, they're kind of showing it and he's just, he just trots out with, with 40 other guys and, and it's it was just like I'm I'm sitting at my seat. I just get to my seat in time, um, and I'm just like, how are they not announcing the defense? And this is something I had actually talked with uh, BJ Kissel about, and he kind of warned us in in the past. Like he told me that it, that Barry was going to play for this Chargers game most likely, and it was going to be the offense that get gets announced. And I was like, there's no fucking way. Like they just can't do that. And his only explanation was that they trade off every time. They just go offense, defense every time. And it blew my fucking mind that this this was a decision that was made. Like, they couldn't, oh, we, we can't go back on this. Well, you know, no, we have to announce the defense for week 17 when, you know, Barry's been back for three weeks and nobody really cares. I really thought it was just, it, it, the, the Barry announcement uh, when he came back from cancer was a special moment. 
Like, I remember being in the stadium for that moment. It was a thing. This is Eric Berry coming back after missing, you know, a year and a half. Like, this could have been another special moment. And no, no, we can't, we cannot do it because uh, it's the offense's turn and there's no possible way we could change that. I just thought, I just thought it was incredibly stupid for no reason. And um, I, it doesn't have any effect on the game. I think it's just a stupid decision by the Chiefs. They played about like a 30 second kind of highlight reel of Eric Berry before they did the announcements to basically just, I guess, like try to hype the crowd up a little bit. But I did find it really weird that he's just like standing in the mass of guys that runs out of the tunnel first and, you know, out there ready to give high fives, standing next to some cheerleaders. Like it was just that was just a really poor decision by, you know, whoever the like does the game day decisions in terms of the extracurricular stuff, like who we're going to introduce. That's it was a huge missed opportunity. Huge and it's missed just, opportunity. It's- it's such an easy fix. Like, okay, Barry's coming back. Announce the defense. There we go. The end. Like, it's it's not hard to change at all. And then you can announce the offense for week 17. So they each each get announced four times or whatever, if that's what you're worried about. It's just, it was really dumb. Uh, a few other complaints uh, that I had, uh, and I don't like to be this guy who complains about shit. Uh, I'm not a Yelp reviewer who complains about service at a restaurant or something like that. You know the type. You know the type if you look at Yelp reviews. Um, but I do want to speak for the people because um, I, I, it's it's kind of a problem. Uh, getting into Arrowhead Stadium right now is is a travesty. Uh, I don't know if that was because people wanted to get in for Eric Berry uh, for the introductions specifically this time. If I picked the wrong gate, maybe. But this isn't the first time. But it took about an hour for us to get in the game from when we got into the line. Uh, and I don't, I don't have much of a solution here. I mean, the security guards were going slow as shit, and they didn't really care. Uh, but it's just something Arrowhead needs to clean up because it shouldn't take a fucking hour to get go from the line to the game. Uh, and I know there's solutions: go earlier, blah blah blah, whatever. But it, it still doesn't doesn't matter. It still shouldn't take that long. Um, the other problem I had, um, and this is something that I don't know how long this has gone on because uh, we had, we had really good seats for this game as well. Um, so we were sitting on the opposite sideline, uh, about the goal line or so 15 rows up, but they have the camera that moves down the sidelines and, and people really talk about this because of the booger mobile. Um, but they had this camera, there's no booger mobile. It's just a guy sitting on an elevated seat, uh, you know, getting camera shots. He really blocks the game. Like any play from the 15 yard line and in, uh, like including like the very end of the game, I am like. I am like stretched two seats over just to try and watch what's going on. Um, and it's, it's really weird uh, to have like these, these really nice seats, like the, the nicer seats on that side just have, you know, 20% of the game blocked. Uh, it was, it was a really weird feeling. Uh, I don't typically sit in those seats. Probably I'll, I'm going to avoid those seats from now on because it's, it's stupid. I mean, it, it blocks the game for me. Like that's why you're there to watch the game. Uh, I don't know how long it's gone on. Uh, but I did have uh, to take issue with that, and just wanted to touch on it. Just wanted to touch on it. That's it. Well, I, I mean, I think uh, I'll say this: like, I didn't have any trouble getting in the gate. I have had trouble getting in the gate before. Typically, I mean, what yeah, happens? The game, we we waited an hour, and you know, we were sprinting to our seats to. We, right. we missed the start of that game. Actually, the uh, the Steelers playoff game is what yeah. I'm talking about here. But it took for it was it was similar to that. It wasn't quite that bad. That was the worst I've ever seen. Uh, but but yeah, they just have a problem with with getting people through the gates. I think the big thing, at least that I've noticed, is like 
the longer I stay in the parking lot, the worse it gets. It really is about like trying to get to the line a little bit earlier. And honestly, most of the people that are in that line are pretty drunk. And like, I'm just pretty aggressive. Like, I'm just going to get past people. I'm going to cut. I don't care. I am. I have no etiquette in the line trying to get in that stadium because half the people aren't even paying attention. They're just standing around in a huge group of people that are supposedly in a line. Um, and some of that is hard because like you enjoy the tailgating experience. I mean, I look at like on, on that night, you know, we're out there, we've got this big tent because of the, the guys that we're tailgating with, they've got the heaters going in there. And, um, you know, our buddy Seth Kincaid gets to come and stop by and we got to chat with him and stuff. And it's just like, there's just a lot that's going on in the parking lot. You're having great conversations. You're having some cold beers and eating food. And then it's just like, oh, man, I have to, like, like pay attention because if you don't start walking toward the gate, like if, if the game starts at 730 and you're not walking toward the gate until 7 o'clock, you're in trouble. You've waited too long, you know, and it's just like you just kind of have to be cognizant of those things, which is hard to do when you're out there just trying to have fun. Um, I do I, – I want to touch back on Eric Berry real quick um, because – like there's something about this, like the Eric Berry mystique, the kind of coaching that he does and like realigning guys on and off the field. And I mentioned that like if Eric Berry isn't out there, you know, putting guys in the right positions, who's doing that? And it really does just kind of make me wonder, like, does anyone else know the defense? Like, do they know where they're supposed to be? Or is it a matter of identifying what the offense is doing? Are guys watching enough tape or what I don't like I don't I don't know I don't understand but I want to at least point out the fact that Eric Berry played 30 of 74 snaps the 30 snaps that Eric Berry was on the field the team gave up one touchdown they had two picks and they had four sacks in the 44 snaps without Eric Berry on the field they gave up 22 points and had just one sack like I, I, I think that overall, the defense made a lot of plays, you know, having five sacks, having two turnovers, but they also lost a 14-point lead late in the game. I mean, it's I, – I just – I didn't really know, like, what to make. I still don't fully understand how the Chiefs lost because I'm, I'm going to do – this is not a deep dive, but I – I'm going to end up having to tweet these numbers out just so you guys can see it because it's probably a little bit better visually. But the Chargers had a drive in the second quarter that in terms of looking at the stats at the end of the game and seeing that the Chargers outgained the Chiefs by 113 yards, they ran 14 more plays, they had over six more minutes of time of possession. You look at all these things that it looks like, oh, well, the defense must have been tired because the Chargers did all these things. Okay, well, in the second quarter, the Chargers had a drive that went for seven minutes and 16 seconds. Okay, well, the Chargers had six and a half minutes more of possession. They had This drive was 15 plays. The Chargers were plus 14 plays on Sun, on, on Thursday. They went 84 yards. The Chargers outgained the Chiefs by 113. Well, on this drive, the Chiefs had two sacks, and ultimately it ended in the end zone interception by Kendall Fuller. On the game, the Chiefs were plus three in sacks. 
and they were plus two in turnovers. So like all the stats that come from this 15-play, seven-plus-minute drive that ultimately ended up in an interception in the end zone, it basically makes all of the numbers in the game, yards, time of possession, sacks, even turnovers, it basically makes it look like the Chiefs and the Chargers were even in every single category. And I look at it and it's like, okay, this this drive even happened before halftime and the Chiefs get the ball. They got the ball to start the second half and they had halftime. I can't say that the defense was so tired at the end of the game because of this long drive that happened in the first half that the Chiefs then had almost five minutes of game clock plus all of the TV timeouts, the two-minute warning, and halftime for the defense to get their breath again. Like, it, it's kind of hard to explain. I don't know if those numbers make sense. I will put it out on Twitter so that people can kind of see what I'm talking about. But this one drive that basically resulted in nothing for the Chargers, it would have made all of the numbers on Thursday night's game look like the Chiefs and the Chargers like literally were exactly even in almost every meaningful category. And I mean, the game was as as even as it gets. I mean, <clears throat> you've kind of wondered how we've lost. I mean, the, the Chargers just kind of stole this, and you see this in the NFL with, you know, it's that it's that two score game. You know, like eight minutes left or so, and you you know exactly what the team needs to do. They need to score twice on offense, and they need to get a you know a quick stop on defense. And so it puts a lot of pressure on that one offensive drive if you can't uh, get that one stop. You know. Um, Hang on here. Where do, where do I want to go here? What else did you touch on there? This fucking dog is hurting me here. Don't blame the dog. I think, I guess I just, when I looked at the game and I looked at like how the Chiefs and Chargers, like where they were separated statistically, if you eliminate this one driver, if you just take this one drive by the Chargers into account, it suddenly just brings them even. And to me, it's like, I did walk away from the game, and when I'm looking at and listening to post-game as I drive back to Warrensburg um, and ultimately end up seeing the way that people were talking about it and they were saying the offense should have done this or the defense should have done that, like I felt initially like it was a more disappointing performance from the offense just based on expectations. I mean, ultimately, I, I think I put out the numbers that the Chiefs offense averaged like 36 points a game going into it and they gave up or they scored 28 and that the chiefs defense like averages giving up 28 a game and they gave up 29. So you do the math, but it's also hard to criticize a team that had four touchdowns in eight possessions. But I also look yeah. at the fact that the offense had a plus two turnover margin and they only had 294 yards. The chiefs offense didn't have 300 yards. I mean, like it's, well, I just, it's weird, weird game. Uh, yeah, I mean, all the numbers are skewed because of the way the Chargers played. Um, they were playing slow. They were playing time of possession. Um, you know, you had almost half the number of possessions as in the Rams game. Uh, the Chiefs' offense actually scored more points per drive than they did in the Rams game. They actually scored 3.5 points per drive, which would be number one in the NFL this year in terms of points per drive. So, you know, the offense was efficient. Um, the problem with the offense was that they looked sloppy. Uh, just a lot of uncharacteristic plays. I mean, you had a Mahomes streak where he two, two of his three passes were, you know, two of three passes were left-handed, um, and he was it was just kind of like, what what is he doing here? And and the other pass in there was like when it 
he kind of like tries to pull back the ball at the last second. So he went left-handed throwaway, you know, right-handed spike pass that, that lands at the feet of a receiver. Uh, and then another left-handed throwaway. And it's just like, uh, it, we kind of hadn't seen the uh, offense look that sloppy, um, but they were still efficient. Uh, they still got the job done. But, you know, the offense, you know, you don't expect the sloppiness, but they, they are playing without Kareem Hunt. They are playing without Sammy Watkins. Um, so they looked about how I'd expect them to look. Um, in terms of, like, the defense being tired, uh, I don't think that's a valid excuse because of how methodical the, the Chargers were playing. They weren't playing at a fast pace at all. So I don't think fatigue was a problem for the defense at all. I will say for the offense, I thought the offensive line had a really rough game, especially as the game went on. Um, towards the end of the game, just just lots of lots of holes breaking through. Um, and I, and I do think that was a direct result of playing the Ravens just four days ago, which are maybe the most physical defense in the NFL. Uh, and then, and then only having three days rest and then playing again. So I, I do think that they kind of wore down. I do buy that as a valid excuse. Um, so, you know, I, I think that plays, um, one other point I wanted to get to the chiefs are going to have to they might struggle a little bit with their four-minute offense. Um, Damian Williams looked really good, and people like to say running backs don't matter whatsoever. And throughout the course of a game, I think that's true. Um, but when you need to run the ball, when the other team knows you're going to run the ball, which is which is where the Chiefs were. They get the ball back. It's about four minutes. Okay, we need two first downs, and this game is iced. Um, and that first play... Uh, just a negative three-yard run, which, you know, blame the offensive line. But, you know, if Kareem Hunt is in there, I also don't think that goes for a negative three-yard run. So I don't think you you missed Kareem Hunt, like, desperately, but you will miss him in those situations, like a four-minute offense when you're trying to kill the clock. And I, I do think that's where his, his presence will be missed. So that's something they're just going to need to, you know, figure out. And whether that means just throwing the ball, um, you know, not not running it when they're expecting you to run or whatever. Um, that's something I think will might be a problem. It might rear its ugly head here in the playoffs. Um, like I guess I I can see that, but I mean, look, I don't have the advantage of going back and seeing that replay. But at least like from what I remember, that handoff in the four minute offense on the on the first down, like he had no chance. And maybe the difference between second and 13 and like second and 11 makes a big difference. I, I don't know. But like, I don't think that even Kareem Hunt with as shifty as as he was as a player and has many broken tackles as he had, like that play was doomed. It was he got a handoff and was pretty much immediately tackled by two chargers. Like it just got blown up. And I think me, it was only one, it was only one guy, but it, it, it's that's 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 fair. I mean, that's 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 fine. Maybe Kareem doesn't make anything of that play, but I do think. I, I mean, I feel much more confident if Kareem Hunt is in there in that situation than I do if it's Damian Williams and and Daryl Williams. I mean, I guess that I'm like that's true because you have way more of a track record of success. But I mean, I got to be honest, man. Like, I kind of wanted to play a little game with Damian and Daryl called Hit Your Wagon. We got Damon Daryl, the double DW on the offense here. And uh I who who for you, who are you willing to hitch your wagon to? Damien or Daryl? Which Williams does he want? Yeah, you gotta pick one. 
I'm making you. I'm making you do it right now. Put your name on. I mean, it. Choose a side. Pick one. Uh, I don't know, Damien. I guess. I mean, I think they're pretty good compliments of each other. I think Daryl. Uh, it kind of reminds me of like Spencer Ware and Sharkandrick West. Uh, whereas it was Damien would be the Sharkandrick West and and Daryl would be the Spencer Ware. It kind of brings that physicality. And I thought he looked good in his uh, limited touches in the game. Uh, which was good to see. And Damian had a couple splash plays that were really nice. So uh, I think they will be able to get by with those two. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how it falls out with Spencer Ware comes back. I almost like both of them more than Spencer Ware at this point, even though Spencer Ware had a pretty good game uh, in his showing. Um, so it will be interesting to see how that distribution falls out. But I, I'm, I'm riding with both of them. I'm going to ride with both. You can't yeah. stop me. I, I really like Damian Williams. Um, he looks he looks really explosive, um, he, dude. He's he's the fastest running back the Chiefs have had for a while. I mean, outside of Jamal Charles, like Damian Williams is that dude's got wheels, and he's not small. Like it, it, he's really impressive to watch. Um, so here here's the thing, like in terms of like talking about that situation in a vacuum, where you're saying that not having Kareem Hunt might really, uh, you know, force your offense to struggle a little bit inside of like the four-minute offense uh, just because of Kareem's unique ability to break tackles and kind of wear teams down. Um, I don't disagree with that. Like I can I can look at that and I can think about it pragmatically about what you're actually saying, and it makes sense. But if I think about it specifically as it related to like the situation that the Chiefs were in against the Chargers, I mean, and, and maybe this is just permanent that we need to think about it. Like – how often do the Chiefs run the ball on first down? How often? Very rarely, I would imagine, because Pat Mahomes throws the ball like 40 or 50 times a game. We don't do a lot of first down handoffs. Now, I haven't crunched the numbers to be able to back that up. This is just conjecture on my part. But suddenly, when you want to like run the clock down, you're going to telegraph, let's hand the ball off on first down when you don't do that all game long. Like the chargers know that's coming and I don't like to be critical of Andy Reed, but it just seems like a bad decision. Like your, your quarterback is better than your running backs. And most of the game, most of the season you throw on first down. I know the situation is different, but why not try to get yourself into second and six or second and five by throwing a short ball, like using the passing game as your running game, as Andy Reid has done most of his career, and then run on second down if you like if you feel the need to, to hand the ball off. I just I don't I don't know I don't know. Well, I, I, and then and then those plays don't work, and then we complain that that those plays didn't work. I mean, it's it's a very hard situation for the offense. I don't I don't get the uh, you know like. It's it'd be better on second down than on first down. I don't I don't I don't that doesn't compute with me. Well, and and generally speaking, I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. I'm just <laughs> looking at it. Hindsight is twenty twenty, and I see that the Chiefs lose three yards because they handed it off on first down when they want to run the clock, and the result isn't good. So I criticize the play. Like that's what fans do. We look at it and we say, I don't like what happened. So you should have done the other thing. That doesn't mean that I'm exactly. intelligent or that I'm right, but like <laughs> that's still my reaction to it. Thinking like, well, why'd you do that? We lost three yards. Come on, Andy, you should have done the Thank other you. thing. I Thank mean, you for saying that. I mean, that's that that conversation just drives me up a wall. Like, 
Like, call the play that works. I mean, he throws a screen pass, yeah, and then everyone complains that, that he throws a screen. Oh, you go to the screen game now, and throwing downfield has been our, our call in our season. Or he throws a couple incompletions like, oh, well, you had to take some time off the clock there. You can't just, you know, throw it three times and, and not stop the clock and then give it back to him. Like, it's you have to make it work. And Andy deserves criticism for not getting a first down in that drive, but I don't have a problem with any of the play calls individually. Um, you know, the biggest problem I have is Demetrius Harris's fucking dumb ass getting a, a false start um, when he's not going to get the first down. I don't know why he's in the game. Uh, so there's there's my biggest criticism. Get Demetrius Harris the fuck out of the game. Although then then you got to bring in Demarcus Robinson, uh, and he's good for another penalty for like that. Just as just as well. I, I, those two, man. Those two. We need Sammy Watkins Tweedle back. Demetrius and Tweedle Demarcus. You said Tweedle Demarcus. They they get each of them will get a a illegal procedure penalty every single week. Um, it's it's very frustrating. They're both dumbasses. Uh, I don't want them playing. And hopefully Sammy Watkins coming back changes that. It gets them off the field. Um, and that's just, you know, that, that'd be another weapon. I, I think the Chiefs pick up a first down if they have Sammy Watkins in that situation. And maybe they do throw it on first down. But, um, you know, I, do, I don't it's, – it's, it's a tough situation. It's, it's a very hard situation. It's a lot of pressure on the offense right there. They didn't get it done. They deserve criticism for that. But I didn't have a problem with, with any, you know – individual thing on that on that drive i think the only like actual play calling issue that i that i like kind of took a, took an issue with during the game and i saw you kind of going back and forth with some guy about this um i thought they like really had the screen game going in the first half and there were a few different situations where they run a screen and damian williams has 20 yards of green space in front of him like I thought they went away from the screens in the second half and and was a little frustrated by it. Like it no it seemed noticeable that like this has been working all day and maybe you think that the Chargers are now expecting it potentially and so you just don't want to give them the opportunity for for a negative play. But Andy Reid is so good at scheming up those screens and setting up defenses um and and the creativity of how they ultimately run some of those plays with all of the side-to-side action and all the misdirection to not let teams know where the screen is going to go, I mean, it's a huge weapon. It's a huge weapon for them because Andy's so creative at doing that. And and maybe some of that credit needs to go to some of his support staff. And it's been, you know, guys like Doug Peterson or Matt Nagy or Eric Bieniemy now that that help him design those things. But man, like, I I think that was probably like my only real play calling complaint was it seemed like they went away from something that was working throughout most of the game. I think that's fair. And I, and I honestly thought they'd go to, to, to a screen on that second and 13. Uh, and I thought it was, it was kind of an obvious screen situation. So I was kind of glad they didn't. Cause I thought the chargers would have been sitting on it right then. Um, they ended up getting six yards of Tyreek. Um, but my, I think that's a fair criticism that they went away from the screen game. Um, my biggest criticism would be he didn't run enough. Uh, I thought Damian and Daryl were doing a good job, and I think the Chargers' weakness on defense is their running game. Um, you know, especially with giving up at the amount of pressure that we were at, towards the end of that game. Um, I, I would have liked to see more running plays, and I think they they were put in a tough spot because the offensive line was just getting their asses kicked. And I mean, you saw that on the last play, that third and thirteen, Mahomes just didn't have a chance. I mean, two two or three of the offensive linemen get beat immediately, and he just gets swallowed. I mean, that's that's the biggest play of the game right there. Uh, and it's just they. I think they kind of had their hands tied, um, 
need to get the offensive line back to playing better. And hopefully, hopefully that Ravens excuse is, is valid for this game and it improves after this. Um, and then you got to get Sammy Watkins back in the fold. Like we, we need that other option. Cause it's just, uh, it just, it just opens everything up. We need, we need, we need to get back to crispness. Like, like the offense, it, it kind of, it reminded me of the Raiders game where the numbers and everything are good. They're there. This is, this is the offense that we've been seeing all season. Um, but they don't look nearly as crisp doing it. And you're not kind of blown away. Like, damn, look at this fucking offense. Uh, they've kind of they've kind of lost that. But to be fair, look at the Rams and Saints offenses. They have fallen off a cliff. Um, whereas you know the Chiefs are still they're doing way better than them this 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 you know last few weeks. It's just it's really hard to sustain a great offense uh, for an entire season. And and I go back to my research on you know the best offenses in NFL history. You know only three of the top fifteen have ended up winning the Super Bowl. And most of those cases, when they lost in the playoffs, it's been because of the offense falling apart. It's just really hard to play, you know, have an elite offense for 19 weeks just because whether it's weather, whether it's injuries, whether it's, you know, defense is getting film on them, which I do think, uh, you know, people kind of mocked for a long time because, like, they, they took it as a slight to Mahomes. But I think it's more of just an offense thing. Like, people learn the tendencies of offense. They learn how to stop offenses and I think you're you're kind of seeing that. I think that's kind of playing towards the Chiefs' offense right now. But I still think they're playing, um, you know, well enough to get by. But they 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 will need to be better to win in the playoffs. I think. So what you're saying is defense wins championships. I I mean people mock that, but I do think that's that's said for a reason. That defense is more important in December and January than it is in September and October. Right, right. And I think a lot of that is just about being able to make adjustments to what is happening around you. And that's I'm not talking about like on the field, like your own defense making adjustments, but like more in the preparation of we have seen what these offenses can do for, you know, 14 games for 16 games. We're getting into the playoffs and like being able to adjust to that. It, and sometimes it is in-game scenarios, but a lot of it is just like using the information that you have and saying, well, we need to do this differently in order to combat, you know, how these teams play, essentially. And, um, and on that, on that, uh, you know, think of the Eagles last year. They put up all these points in the playoffs, but their offense totally changes, you know, in week 15 when Carson Wentz goes down. Like, it's not, it's not something they did on purpose, but... You know, that's how a backup quarterback can find so much success. It's like, hey, it's this brand new offense. And uh, I think it's it's harder to adjust to if you only have three to four weeks to go off of instead of, you know, 15 to 17 weeks to, to base things off of. Uh, I think it changes things a lot. It's just it's it's really hard to sustain offense over 19 NFL games. Mm-hmm. Well, and and I don't know um, how much of the Chiefs' success this year on offense is based strictly in the design of what they're doing in in Andy Reid's genius and scheme. Because a lot of times we felt like they were just so immensely talented, and Mahomes was doing things, and and the skill position players were doing things that it's like. This has nothing to do with coaching. This is natural ability. They just have too much to where, I mean, as a Chiefs fan, I hope that there's so much stuff that Andy Reid hasn't used schematically yet because he hasn't had to. Because he has so much talent that, like, they're just better when they line up against teams when they're at full strength. 
You know, you, you've mentioned Sammy Watkins. Perhaps it's time for week 15 of Sammy Watch. Ken's. Which, I don't know. Is this the week two edition of Weight Watch? Ers? I don't know. It could be, it could be one or the other. Uh, Kelvin Benjamin did make his Chiefs debut on Thursday against the Chargers. Had one catch for, you know, some teenage yardage, 17 or 19, I think. Um, Perfect age. I think that people, I, I mean, I don't know if everybody, like, recognized how big he is. I, and I Oh, my God. I don't think that Kelvin a- is particularly fat. I know that people like to make those jokes. Dude, he's enormous. He is he is a matchup problem, an absolute unit. Like I was just watching from the stands, like holy shit! Look at the size of that man. I can't believe we haven't got like the uh, the practice photo of Tyreek standing next to Kelvin Benjamin yet. Like people love those photos. People love to see the big guy next to the small guy. Why have we not gotten that photo yet? That's that's a great take, Jerk. That's fantastic, and I now need to see it. Somebody contact BJ. We need that. Stop covering Garrick Dieter and give me the Kelvin Benjamin Tyreek tandem. Um, I for for let's call it week fifteen of Sammy Watch or Weight Watch Kinzers. Um, I Kinzers, yeah. Um, I I do think that the offense is cer- like certainly they're going to look better if Sammy Watkins is on the field. I don't know that I anticipate him playing on Sunday night. Um, I, but I'll, but I'll tell you this much, like if they were going to try to get him on the field for, you know, to see if he could make, make it a go for the Rams game, because they knew how important that was for mystique purposes or something like the game on Sunday night is the biggest game of the season. It's probably the biggest game of Pat Mahomes career and the chiefs, I don't care if it's a three-point victory or a 30-point victory. They need to go out and win that game and and secure this home field advantage and just take care of business. Like, they have to go out and make a statement because right now people are looking at it and saying, oh, well, maybe Phillip Rivers is the MVP and maybe the Chargers are the better team and all this stuff, despite the fact that the Chiefs are still in the driver's seat. They control their own destiny. They are the one seed, and they should have home field advantage locked up. Like, they have got to step into Seattle and win this football game on Sunday night. They have to, or generally speaking, I think that the season is practically over if they don't beat if they don't beat Seattle. And some of it depends on, I guess, how the Chargers play on Saturday. I do feel like that's this weird advantage for the Chiefs, getting to know what the stakes are entering that game. But honestly, like maybe it's a little bit of an old man take. I'd rather the Chiefs be playing on Saturday than on Sunday so that they play first and they don't have to rely on what was that result so we know what we need to do. I just I want to yeah. go out and win. They need to. I'll take that even a step further. I kind of want the stakes on the line. Like I want to see this team uh, and how they respond to something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so they they will know their fate. I mean, if the Chargers lose to the Ravens, I think they're pretty much guaranteed the uh, one seed. I think I haven't looked at the standings too much this week. Uh, but yes, the season is on the line. Um, I kind of opened the show saying I wasn't worried after this game. Um, if they don't win in Seattle, then I'm worried. If they fall to the five seed, 
I think the bottom has just fallen out. I don't think anybody will have any confidence in this team going into the playoffs. Uh, they'd be going to Pittsburgh most likely, which I wouldn't be confident. wouldn't be fun. Um, but yeah, I think this is a huge game, huge game. Um, and I'm, I am fucking ready for it. Um, I, you know, the Seahawks can run. I thought they had a, a better defense than they actually do just because I think I was just watched that Seahawks Vikings game and they just kind of swallowed up the Vikings, the, the very disappointing Vikings. Um, but their defense isn't that good. I, I thought they'd kind of be like a mirror of the Ravens team. Uh, and their running game is, is a lot like the Ravens. Um, but they bring Russell Wilson to the table instead of Lamar Jackson, Russell Wilson. I mean, he's, he's got a lot of the magic that you see from Mahomes, just like that, that ability to make plays, especially when things break down. So he's, he's kind of a wild card. He's, he's kind of the one that can, you know, break the trend here. He can, he can, he can, he can end it for you. He can win the game by himself. He's got that kind of guy, uh, but also not going to really dominate the game. He's just kind of a, if you give him opportunities, he's going to make plays on third and long kind of thing. Um, so he scares me. And then, man, we got a little, we got a little rivalry with the Seahawks um, in terms of what, who's got the biggest home field advantage. Um, so they are going to be lubed up. Um, I saw during their game against, was it last week or two weeks ago? I saw they had the best prime time home record over the last five years or some shit. Um it's you've seen a lot of teams go there and just wilt almost immediately uh, facing that Seahawks crowd and the weather and, and everything like that. Um, so they got to withstand early. Um, I think they will. Honestly, I think they're, they're going to come out like gangbusters. I think they, I think we'll see the crispest performance from the team uh, that we have in weeks. Uh, I think they win by two scores personally, um, but it is a big, big, huge game. I'm fucking ready for it and they need to win. So there's a couple things, um, and I, I didn't end up writing these stats down, so don't quote me, but I know it's it's somewhere in this neighborhood. I was looking at Russell Wilson in December and Russell Wilson at night, um, and both of these at home, just because that's what it like. That's where he's at, and I'm pretty sure that Russell Wilson at home in December is like 21 and five, um, or no, it's 21 and nine, and then Russell Wilson at night. At home in December is like twenty one and five. I mean, it's it's good because Seattle has been good, right? Well, <clears throat> I also saw this stat, and I think this was something that you retweeted. Shout out to at Talking Chiefs. I don't know who you are, but I love the fun fact of the day that he tweeted out the other day. Uh, Russell Wilson four and twenty seven all time when the opposing team scores 25 or more. This is the Alex Smith equivalent stat for Russell Wilson of his team not being a um, a big offensive team. It's been built for the Seattle Seahawks defense to lead the way for them. Um, given that Russell Wilson is 4-27 and 27 all time when the opponent scores 25 or more, and the fact that the Chiefs haven't scored fewer than 25 in this 2018 season, that should hopefully give the Chiefs um, and their fans a little bit more confidence heading into this tough game uh, Sunday night in Seattle. Um, I am really excited about the fact that because of the short week between Baltimore and the Chargers, they have extra time to prepare. Um, and and I heard 
someone say on the radio, I don't remember who it is. I want to say it was like Sean Barber and Joe Mays on 610 uh, a few days ago when they do Monday morning linebacker. And he said, like, typically, Andy Reid, if you get a long week like this, uh, if you get the long break, like after the Thursday night game, he was just going to tell the players that they don't have to be back at work until Monday. Like Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you're just off. You don't have meetings. You don't have anything you got to do. Just go take a three-day weekend and then come back on Monday, and we're going to treat it like a regular week. Um, And a lot of those guys, I mean, they need to get their bodies right, you know? Um, And I I hope that that extra break is going to make them look as crisp as you say you think they're going to be. Um, I, I think that this team, I, I do want to see how they react to the loss to the Chargers when the game gets stolen away from you right at the end because I think that they can come out against Seattle, a team that really, to me, <clears throat> they're good. They have, they have quality, but this is not the Seahawks that people remember. Um, they don't even have most of the same players that we remember. Um, and they, they do have a great quarterback. They do have a great coach. And they've got a few players on there that I think, uh, you know, should demand some respect. But I think the Chiefs have every opportunity to go out and make a huge statement against Seattle because I just don't think Seattle is anywhere near the same class of football team as the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, and, and the circumstances are tough. It's an important game and you're having to go play on the road and you're playing Sunday night football under the lights. But like, I mean, all the different things that are on the line for this, I mean, essentially you're looking at the fact that the Chiefs can lock up home field advantage for the most part. Um, I, I'm sure there are a bunch of different scenarios there that that may or may not be true, but the Chiefs should be able to lock up the one seed in home field advantage in front of the country. Sunday night football is usually, I think, like higher rated than Monday night. Like this is the game that people really want to watch. Um, and you're talking about a playoff team from both conferences and there is that weird rivalry about who has the best home atmosphere and whatnot. But Mahomes could lock up the MVP in this game. You know, the Chiefs could could be in that position where they can make a number of different statements, both as individuals and as a team. Um, and I, I just want to see them take that opportunity because I, I think the one thing that we've talked about that is really important is – that after that, after the the Kareem Hunt situation, it was for the first time it looked like the Chiefs were at work when they had to play the Raiders. Well, I want the Chiefs to show up against the Seattle team and start having fun again because having Eric Berry on the field should help the defense play looser, if, especially if he's playing all night. And if the offense gets rolling, whether they have Sammy Watkins on the field or not, like I just I just want to have them look loose and comfortable and look like they're having fun instead of you know. Man, it's just the dog days of the season, and we got to go out and we got to, you know, really grind out this game. Like, I want them to go have some fun. Well, I mean, I wouldn't look at it like that. I think it's just, you know, it gets to December or January and, and shit gets serious. Like, sure. like September, October is fun for putting up stats, but you know, it's it's time to win football games right now. So I think it's just, you know, take care of fucking business. Like, go out and do your fucking job, for lack of a better word. To, Quote Bill Belichick. Uh, another interesting thing is that the, how the Seahawks lost last week. If they would have won, this game would have meant very little to them. They would have basically been in the playoffs, um, and they would have basically been the five seed. It basically would have been wrapped up. Um, but as of now, if they lose to us, they're kind of facing. I'm not sure who their last game is, but they're kind of uh, setting themselves up for you know week 17 shenanigans. Uh, so now it's it's a big game for them. I mean, this is essentially a playoff game. 
uh, with what's at stake. I mean, we're, we're talking about the Chiefs might be done if they lose, if they fall to that five seed. Um, so, you know, that's that's win, win or go home almost situation. Seahawks are kind of win or go home situation. Like, it's just, this is a huge, huge game. Everything on the line, everything you said, MVP, everything like that. Uh, I do want to add one thing that I think will help them. They've played uh, at Denver on Monday night this year. They've played at New England on Sunday night this year. They've played in tough environments on the road in prime time. Like they've 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 had some test runs. This won't be anything new. They should be able to handle it. It's just about going out and executing. Because like you said, they are the better team and they need this game. So it's a game they should win. So. You know, let's let's fucking. Do. I have I have been so ready for this game. Like this is this is the biggest Chiefs game of the year. I'm, I'm more hyped for this game than than any other game uh, this year. Just because you know we talked so much earlier about how the season was kind of coming easy. Well, it ain't easy right now. It's it's going on the road right here and and getting the job done in this in this must win game. And I'm fucking pumped for it. Let's let's fucking do this. Man, I, I think it's going to be a really, really fun game to watch. Um, and I, I certainly don't want to see it get snatched away at the end again because that was freaking heartbreaking. Um, okay, and you can, can you just imagine, like, Mahomes' mindset coming off that. Like, they kept showing him on the sidelines in that last drive, and he's like, shit. Like, they're kind of driving down and scoring here. And then when they go for two and just Mahomes just doesn't get another opportunity with the ball, and I think he's just got to be foaming at the mouth. Just, just okay, well – we can't let that happen again. I can't. I can't trust a seven-point lead with this defense. So now I got to get it done. You know, I, I can't let it get to that situation. So, you know, here's your chance, kid. Um, Dirk, that's that's about all I've got today. I didn't know if you wanted to go over different playoff scenarios and specifics. If you had that, or if right. there's anything else you wanted to get to, or if this has been amateur hour. Um, a quick scan. No, I think I'm good. All right. Well, folks, again, I want to throw a few shout-outs. Jason Dunn, you're the man. I will hug you anytime. Thanks for chatting with me. The Ryans, Drew, Jeff, John, thanks for those seats, man. Uh, Seth, Kincaid, good to see you, brother. Can't wait to watch some playoff football with you. Um, and uh, to each and every one of you, little amateurs out there supporting us along the way, this has been Amateur Hour. I'm Ryan Scott Hall. He's his darkness. And this is Led Zeppelin with Misty Mountain High. Fuck yeah. Let's do this. Okay, so who else did you notice? Did you recognize any other players there? I really didn't. I know that one guy was, he mentioned being a teammate of Tony's in Atlanta. And I thought they, they called him Travis. But I wanted, so is it Tavares? Cadet or Travis Cadet? Did that that guy that was? I think he was a running back. Didn't he play in Atlanta? I think it's, I think it's Tavares, but uh, that seems like a weird. I don't do, but so that was the thing. Like they, they everybody gave a speech. Like all of all of the men in the room gave speeches to Tony. Um, listening to Jason Dunn give a speech about Tony Gonzalez. Whoo, whoo, it's fantastic. Um, but they were all kind of talking about how like. <clears throat> Tony has just collected people that are now his family throughout his life. And they mentioned like, you know, somebody you met in college versus, you know, someone that you met while you were with the chiefs or in Kansas city. And like, 
I mean, there were a couple guys that were definitely not football players and maybe just were like an equipment dude or a trainer or something that were all just friends of Tony Gonzalez. It was an it was an eclectic group, but there were there was nothing short of probably like five guys that were definitely former players. Um, I recognize Jason Dunn. The other guy in there, I want to say like, it was Jonathan Hayes. Because uh, I, Jonathan Hayes has the weird face thing. Okay, so it wasn't he'd, him. He'd be recognizable. Yeah, it wasn't him. Maybe Keith Cash. Nah, I mean he was he was old. He's he looked invited. older than everybody to where he may have been one of Tony's tight end coaches or something. But I think he played the same position. He just but, invites I mean, all the tight ends that he knows. Yeah, Ted Popson, right. get in here. I mean, I heard okay. that like there were a couple like short times in there where guys were kind of criticizing Andy Reid and they. Saying like I'm just I'm just sick of seeing Andy you know do this that or the other like and I'm just like you know what man like I genuinely believe that you are just like like listening to the Philadelphia Andy Reid takes like I just like I'm just not here for Andy Reid slander for the most part like I just I I, I think I like the guy way too much that I don't think that Andy Reid actually puts you at a, a disadvantage in any way. But uh, it was it was kind of surreal, kind of surreal. How many drinks did Tony have? Uh, did he get I don't loose? Know. I wasn't counting. I mean, did he get he, loose? Uh, I mean, a little bit. Like he's he's with his friends, you know. But like nobody was hammered or anything. Like it was pretty. Seems like a guy who was. He's, yeah, it seems like a guy who always never gets too drunk. He'll get a little buzz, but he won't get wasted. Yeah, it, well, it was funny when Jason Dunn was was like kind of giving his speech. Um, he made a joke about how Tony was like giving him a hard time about what he did and didn't eat from the food that we were bringing out. And uh, Jason Dunn was like, man, you're the one that made me change my diet. Like I'm, I'm still just following the practices that, that like you made me do when we were in the league. So apparently Jason Dunn doesn't eat red meat because Tony Gonzalez told him he couldn't. I, I guess I could believe that. I, I, I assume Jason Dunn eats like buildings and stuff for lunch. He he probably ate less than any other man in that room. I'll tell you that. He uh, at, like he just, he just yeah, I mean, he's just being being smart, you know, <laughs> trying trying to stay in shape, trying to stay limber for that phone call when Demetrius Harris gets cut. Ugh. Love you, Jason Dunn. 